Bibles with me to First uh, Peter chapter two. We're going to read verses four through eight. <clears throat> and we're continuing through this. Great, it's a very Jesus-centered letter, uh, very gospel-centered letter from Peter. I know it's been a few weeks, so I just want to give a quick recap, and then we'll read verses four through eight. But right at the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the letter, Peter just explodes in awe and wonder of, of God's love for us in Jesus and the resurrection and all the benefits that gives. And highlighting that is, of course, that, that wonderful phrase that the gospel is, are, are things into which the angels long to look. Right? It's, that if we're bored with the gospel, there's something the angels are drawing our attention to, uh, to be changed, to go deeper into being loved and being a child of God. And then uh, that he goes on, Peter says, the way this grace and these benefits affect you, we're now part of a lifelong holiness project, uh, a change project, that God is at work changing us to be obedient children, uh, to be holy as our Father in heaven is holy. We're, we're being changed into the image of Jesus, who looks just like his Father. And then we've seen how we were put together in community, that we're born again to love one another with a sincere brotherly love. And that was right before uh, we went away on vacation here. So today we're getting, getting into the section where it talks about why God joins us together. What is, what is his purpose for us? And so let's read verses 4 through 8. as It talks about what church is and who we are and what we ought to do. This is God's word. It says, you come to him... This is talking about Jesus. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves are, are like living stones. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy. He has spoken to us today in love. Uh, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we ask that you continue to show us the, the wonder of being chosen and precious in your sight. Even as we see Jesus, I pray you would help us see him as, as precious, as, as the one worth living for, as, as our cornerstone. Um, and so for that to happen, we need your spirit to be among us, to do the work of softening our hearts, to, to see your plan for our life as something attractive and beautiful and worth pursuing with everything that we are. So help us today take up our cross and follow Jesus and do so together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we read through that, how does your view of church, of being a spiritual community, a spiritual house, uh, line up with what Peter just said? Right? I mean, he talks about church and, and Christian community and being joined together uh, in ways that I don't, I don't think our culture talks about church or even wants to hear, fr frankly. 
right? Because some of the common things I hear about church as a pastor, um, you know, I figured out, some people told me I figured out at some point they could be a decent person without the Bible and without church, right? I can be a Lone Ranger. I mean, others would say, right, these are, are people claiming to be Christians as well, right? They would say, I don't need the church to follow Jesus. I'm a priest, I got my Bible, I'm good, right? Or there's others who would say, right, well, I don't, I don't like the church. I, my church is in the woods, uh, just spending time with God in nature. Whereas one, uh, a former best-selling Christian author, someone I was helped with in my 20s, right, he, he came out publicly several years ago and said, you know what, I'm leaving the church. It no longer fits my learning style. I'm closer to God than when I, when I do my work. And yet, here's Peter. Bigger context, right? We're born again to love one another. And if you come to Jesus, he says, you have been joined together to be a spiritual house. And so it's good as we gather back together um, after a year and a half of, right, we're, we're still somewhat scattered, but as we try and reorganize and think about life together as a church, Peter's really helpful to see this is what God's plan is for his people, right? We, he tells us who we are and what we are to do. And this week, we're going to focus more on who we are and next week we'll talk about what the, what the church is called to do. But um, yeah, it's all over, it's all intermixed here, but it's, it's good to see what are we here to do as a church, as God's people? What is his plan for your life? And so we're going to look at this passage under two headings. What is the church called to be by Jesus? And what is the church called to do then as priests? And so what is the church called to be? Right, there is something to just being in church community, right? You're born again to love one another. This is, this is the laboratory for our sanctification, so to speak, where you learn how to grow up into our salvation. That's what the church community is for. But there's also an, a whole different um, word that Peter uses to, that gives purpose to why we're here. We're a, he says, as you come to him, to Jesus, this living stone, so the living, he's, he's raised from the dead, it's, it's that idea, who was rejected by men, but in, in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You, your stones are like, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Right? So the purpose, God's gathering us together as a spiritual house. What is that? I think there's two metaphors at work here that are helpful. Um, I think it's pulling double duty. I mean, a, a spiritual house in the scriptures is always a way to talk about family. That's what Peter's been doing so far. Right? My household is my family. Uh, we're part of the household of Abraham by faith, all those who believe. And Peter's already talked about that. Love one another with a family like love, a brotherly love. And we're like children longing for more of the gospel to grow up. Right? So there's family themes going here. And so... I think it's helpful to just stop and say, church is like family. We are joined together into a spiritual house, which is God's family. And notice, who's building the house? Right? It's passive, right? We're, we're the passive recipients. We are being joined together. We are the ones who've been adopted and connected to a whole bunch of people that we would not choose to be our siblings. Right? By nature. We don't get to choose our siblings in Christ. No, it's God by sheer grace at the cost of his son has caused us all to be born again to this living hope, but joining us then together with other family members from across the globe. 
we're family. That's God's design for the church, that we would be family. And so it's good to just stop and ask, do you think of your local church that way? When you look around and say, these are my family members. That Jesus has, or God has, our Father has intentionally placed us next to. Does your time reflect that reality? Does your affection reflect that reality? I mean, I know family's complicated. Um, Everybody's family is complicated, but you think about, um, well, just look around. Look at the Zoom list. I mean, I know the challenge of the last year of of the whole pandemic, um, families just not able to see each other, grandparents not hugging grandkids, not getting together for the holidays. I mean, all these things that... I've heard you say, I've said myself, this is not how things ought to be. See, we're God's family that he has called to be together. Right? So if we have that attitude towards our biological family, how much more should that attitude be towards our spiritual family? Because when you come to Jesus, he says your love for me should look like hatred of your family by comparison. He also says this is now your spiritual family. That's hard. So you get to come and be joined to a whole bunch of people that you didn't know that well that Jesus died for. That's, that's a little bit of what I think Peter's doing. I think he's using the spiritual house to transition then to talk about the temple image here, right? We're family, but we're, we're also living stones. Peter loves to mix his metaphors. We're being built up as God's house, his dwelling place, where he is. Right? It's so simple and yet profound, but this is what the church is. We are God's dwelling place. That when you come to Jesus, the living stone, we then are made living stones. Right? We are made alive in him. And we're like stones and part of a big building project. We're placed strategically side by side next to each other so God can come and dwell with us. Right, and so Peter's tapping into this whole Old Testament picture that this is God's design from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, that we would, he would be our God and we would be his people and he would dwell with us. And the church now, by God's design, is to be that place where heaven and earth meet when God comes to dwell with us as his spiritual house. This is the place you experience God's glory, his grace, his presence, But it's living, it's not the building, it's the people. It's the people, not this place. This place could burn to the ground. But Hope Church would continue because we're the people. And so you're starting to hear what Peter's saying, right? Christians, you who are in exile, you're not in Jerusalem, you're not near the actual physical temple, you're not near that place where you used to think of that was the only place you could meet with God. Now you're scattered throughout modern, what we would call Turkey. But even now, as God's spiritual house, as you're joined together as Christians, Jesus, you're connected to Jesus, the cornerstone. The point is, you're not alone. And what's interesting as you read this, right, as you come to him, you yourselves, um, whoever believes in him, and all the yous that are there, they're all plural. (laughs) This is a community passage. It's all y'all joined together. So it's going to be helpful. I think what will make this passage jump out and be bigger and more powerful and more potent um, 
is to connect it to the bigger story of the Bible because Jesus is coming to be the foundation of a new family, to be God's temple, to, be, to put together what we sinful humans have shattered, frankly, which is the human family, God's dwelling place. Right, and so let's, let's jump back um, to Eden, and we're just going to slowly walk through it. It's going to be a flyby. We're going to look at some specific passages, but I think it'll, it'll be helpful because we're modern, right? We just assume that if there is a God, he wants to dwell with me. And sure, why wouldn't he come here to be with me in my living room or in my bedroom or wherever I'm at, right? The ancient world didn't see God like that. You had to go to a physical place, and you needed a priest to represent you. And if you didn't have that, they didn't have a category for it, so they just called you atheists. <laughs> that, that's what the early church was dealing with. They were so weird because they did not have a physical temple or actual priests. So let's look at uh, the story of the Bible and see how this grows. I mean, Eden is the ideal that when God made the earth and he plants humans in a garden up on a mountain uh, and he comes down to walk in the cool of the evening with Adam and Eve, you're getting a picture of the first spiritual house was this garden in Eden. Right? That God right, wanted to dwell with human beings. It's right there in the beginning. Right? And he wanted that place to grow. He, wanted to, he told the first humans, be fruitful, multiply. Grow the family, which is also saying, grow my temple, grow the house. Right? And of course, that doesn't happen. Right? That's, that's the tension and the human history, right? God comes down to walk with them, Adam and Eve, in the cool of the evening, and they've already eaten the forbidden fruit. And because of sin and shame, they're hiding behind trees. They've, they've sown for themselves fig leaves. They're naked and hiding. They're hiding from God. They're hiding from one another. They're ashamed. Right? Shame is now the air that every human breathe, being breathes. We are more familiar with shame than someone who loves us. We're running from tree to tree, hiding behind our fig leaves of, of career or relationships or performance. That whole, does anyone like me? I feel like an outcast. Right? That's, that's the normal human experience outside of Christ. And God comes to, the, to Adam and Eve and says, where are you? Why are you hiding? It's such a great counseling question. So this is the context, right? The, the human context, that the very idea of God dwelling with us, building a house together, saying, I want to be with you, what do humans do? We run from God, and we run from one another. This is what Jesus is dealing with. Right? I mean, when we say, my church is in the wood, it's woods, it's often code for, my church has hurt me. We're alienated from one another. It feels safer. We're, we're really quick to hit that shame button, to feel like an outcast. As, as Ed Welch puts it, this is what shame does. You feel like an outcast. You go into a community, a new place. You feel like you don't belong. You feel naked. Every, while everyone else around you is walking around with their clothes on, you feel naked and exposed, dirty, even worse, contaminated. He wrote this before COVID, but he said there is a difference between being a bit muddy, right, just being a little bit unclean, and harboring a deadly contagious virus, which is sin. See, this is the building blocks for Christ's church, where God takes 
the ashamed humans who are hiding from God and from one another and says, I want to join you together to Jesus and to those for whom he died, other Christians. Shame is the qualification you need to be a part of Christ's church. I mean, you, you fast forward, right? Clearly there's something wrong because God has to exile Adam and Eve and then he starts a new family with Israel to be like Adam again. And he sets up the tabernacle so that God can dwell with this nation. And the tabernacle is set up like Eden so God can walk with them and be their God. And the tabernacle is like a mini Eden, but you know shame is still reality because that's what all the sacrifices are about. Shame sticks to humans like pollen does to a sweaty body on a hot, blistery day. Every day you've got to wash it off. They need it cleansed. And so the whole Old Testament sacrificial system was God making arrangement to cover their shame so that he could dwell with them through the work of the priests, through the sacrifices. And so you just pause there. Like the, the whole storyline of the Bible, that's what it's about. It's about God moving closer to us sinful humans to cover our shame so that we can dwell together with him in a loving community. That, that's the character of our God. That's the whole trajectory of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Of course, the problem in the Old Testament, the only people who ever got close to God were the priests. And only once a year did the high priest go all the way in to the Holy of Holies to get all the way into God's house, and he was terrified. Because if he did it wrong, he'd fall over dead, and they'd have to drag him out with a rope. But there were promises that it would not always be so. And that's the beauty of the prophets, right? That God will dwell with his people. He will build his spiritual house. It will fill the entire earth. Shame will be undone. Shame will be removed. You will receive honor. You will praise. You will be blown away by the grace of God that is to come all through the work of the Messiah, Jesus. And so let's look in your Bibles with me. It'll be helpful to turn to these places. Just look at a few Old Testament passages. Uh, the first one's Isaiah 4. Some of it's just good to familiarize yourself when, when you're reading this and you go, I have no idea what that's about. Well, that's why we, have, that's why we do this together. Because <laughs> some of these Old Testament images are foreign. They are strange, and that's okay. But Isaiah 4, 2 through, through 6 is a phenomenal portrait of what God will do in the future. And so I'll, I'll read it, and then we'll talk about it, and we'll, we'll just jump in a couple of these. It says, In that day the branch of the Lord, the branch is the Messiah, this coming king, shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone has been recorded for life in Jerusalem. When the Lord will have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and cleanse the bloodstains of Jerusalem by its midst, or from its midst by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy and there will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. Right? Lots of weird images. It's great. But the branch is talking about Jesus, the Messiah. 
And when he comes, he's going to be beautiful, glorious. Uh, Something about him is going to draw people to him. And then it describes Jerusalem, this city that nobody in the city wanted God. Example, Jesus being crucified. (laughs) Um, But it says something's going to happen that everyone in Jerusalem is going to be called holy. And then God in his glory, in his presence, is going to come down on this city the way he led Israel through the desert, through clouds of smoke and fire. There's always symbols for God's presence coming down on the tabernacle. And so part of what this is saying is there's a future day coming when the Messiah is here, when the branch of the Lord shows up, that, that the people in God's city will be holy and he will dwell in the city and everyone will see it. And then over all of this will be a canopy. And a canopy in the Hebrew is, is probably like a wedding tent, right? A, a wedding celebration. So there's joy happening in the city. And you read, right, that's what all the, the filth and the cleansing of, of, of adultery and injustice and murder. I mean, you read Isaiah 1, it says, I looked for justice, and he changes one letter and says, well, there's bloodshed, right? There's all kinds of injustice things happening. And the Lord said, I'm going to remove that shame and all the evil that's happened. No, this spiritual house where the Messiah is, it's going to be a refuge. It's going to be a safe place. It's going to be joyful. If it's under the canopy, it's like wedding day joy here. Uh, it's a place where, well, you're going you're to find refuge from, from the storm and rain and from the heat. Right? So it's a place where you're safe from the sufferings and the effects of a broken world. And so, in, a he- in the Hebrew imagination, this is an Old Testament picture of what the New Testament community would be like, the spiritual house. Jesus, the Messiah, God's full presence with everyone in the city. Wedding day joy, shame removed, and safe for the suffering. Right? A refuge, a place you can go when you're in trouble. Zechariah 14, you can turn there, uh, so if you're head closer to the New Testament, I should have looked up the, the numbers. Zechariah keeps talking about this branch, and this is all about your shame being removed on one day, That's, but at the end it gets very specific as to what kind of people will be in God's spiritual house. All right, so Zechariah 14.20 kind of the grand summary on the coming of when, when the Lord comes. It says, On that day there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses, holy to the Lord. Right? Their vehicles are going to be holy. Uh, the pots in the house of the Lord shall be like the bowls before the altar, and every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy to the Lord of hosts, so that all who sacrifice might come and take of them and boil the meat of the sacrifice in them. And there should no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. (laughs) There's a lot packed in there, but you know what it's saying? It's just adding to that hope we've already talked about. That when the Messiah comes, God's holiness is going to fill the countryside. Right? It's not just in the tabernacle now. 
It's now going out into Jerusalem and in the country of Judah so that everybody who's cooking a sacrifice, right, they're doing priestly things. So it's saying ordinary people one day will be priests in God's house outside of this specific tabernacle. And there's a lot of different, a lot of places it says that throughout the scriptures. Ordinary people will offer spiritual sacrifices in the service of living God. And so you're starting to get an idea how the Old Testament works. We we don't have time to go through the whole thing, obviously. That would be a whole semester's worth of, of exploration. But centered on the Messiah, ordinary people will be filled with God's presence and then equipped to serve the way the Old Testament priests serve. And it's not going to be confined to Jerusalem. It's going to expand. It's going to grow. It's going to fill the earth. And, and that's where you get the stone imagery from, right? That's one more passages, passage from Daniel 2. Just trying to build, build on this. And then next week will be the payoff. <clears throat> right? It's, it's that great dream we looked at last fall. So testing your memory, right? Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of all these kingdoms and then a stone comes and hits a statue in the feet and the statue crumbles and the stone uh, becomes a mountain and then fills the entire earth. It's a growing living stone. Right? So I think Peter has Daniel in mind when he's, he's talking about Jesus as the living stone. Right? So that's what, it, that's what this says. It says, right, then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away. So they fell on the stone and were broken. Also, then not a trace of them could be found, but the stone that struck this image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Right? It's, it's a stone that, that's alive. It grows and fills the earth. And in the Old Testament, you know what a, you know what a great mount, the mountain of the Lord was? It's God's house. And God's house was on the mountain of Zion, on the temple where, where everybody went to Jerusalem. So this little prophecy is saying God's house, through the work of this stone, which is Jesus, is going to grow and fill the earth and multiply. Right. God's holiness, uh, priests, the temple, it's going to fill the whole earth. Which is why Jesus, at the end of his ministry, says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go make disciples of all nations, therefore, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They can have the Spirit and be part of this temple, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, because I am with you to the end of the age. So we're trying to give some of the Old Testament background to Peter's uh, statements here when he says we're being joined together to be a part of God's spiritual house. It's a, it's a living, growing thing meant to fill the whole earth to include people from every tribe, tongue, and nation that we would be priests in that house. All right, so we're just scratching the surface. Let me take two things that are helpful um, to, to, that Peter, I think, are, is getting after We are joined together to be a part of this project that God is up to. We're joined together through faith in Jesus. What had to happen for you to be a part of God's building block? 
uh, building project to build his spiritual house. Your shame has to be covered. We have to be coaxed out of hiding from God and hiding from one another to turn and look at each other and not be ashamed, to not hit that shame button (laughs) that we all have in our pocket at any moment anything happens, right? You hit the button, panic and run, or whatever way you do that. Or maybe you hit the button and you panic and you get angry, but either way, it's shame in the driver's seat, right? So when you come to Jesus, the living stone, how does Peter describe you? In the same language used to describe Jesus. Let this cover your shame. You're alive. You'll be raised as he is raised. You're chosen. That that scary frozen chosen word, right? The elect, (laughs) which is another way of saying we're we're loved. That's 1 Peter 1. We're precious. Jesus is precious. God chose him to be the foundation, the cornerstone. But when Peter says the honor is for those who believe, he's also saying the preciousness is for those who believe. You are wanted by God. You've got to let that good news wash over you again and again and cleanse your shame with the blood of Christ who's of more worth than gold or silver. When you come to him, the living stone, you become a living stone in him. And just as Jesus was chosen to be the cornerstone of the church, you are chosen to be a part of his building project. And just as he is precious and rejected by the world, so too are you precious and expect to be rejected by the world. You are fully identified with Christ. And so the question is, will you believe that when you're joined together? The honor is for us who believe we are wanted family members in Christ. Living stones joined together. That's the battle we all face, right? Christian counselor Kurt Thompson says, everything we do Parenting, pastoring, farming, playing basketball, being a carpenter, police work, engineering. Everything's done in either response to the love we have in Christ, given to us by the Holy Spirit, or to that shame competing for our attention. Within each of us, that's what we have by virtue of being a Christian. You either have the Holy Spirit echoing the voice of our Father saying, you are chosen and precious in my sight, or you're going to turn and listen to the shame attendant who says, hey, by the way, I don't think you're good enough. You know what? You really stink. You're not good enough. I mean, anyone else have that voice in their heads? I mean, every day. So Peter is calling us out from hiding and saying, look at what God is up to. He's putting you in community. Where are you? Why are you hiding from the honor Christ gives? Will you come and be joined together as part of God's church? This is the place where God covers shame. So the second implication here would be, um, well, here's an academic way to put it, and then I'll put it in normal English. Uh, The imagery of the living stones, says commentator Karen Jobes, of being built into a single unit implies that the significance and purpose of an individual Christian cannot be realized apart from community with other believers. Which is academic for saying, you're not going to fully understand how loved you are in Christ and what you must do in service of Jesus unless you're in church. 
in a community, in God's spiritual house. Right? We just use the metaphor. Some of you guys are, are builders or carpenters or have that skill. If you just have a stone lying by itself on the ground, versus right next to a building that's being formed, right? if that stone's never used, never touched, never joined to the house, how, how lonely and unused and unhelpful it is. It's actually less, it gets more glory by being joined to the house than being left alone. I mean, the implication is together we're God's house. This is where you get more of God's presence together, right? I mean, the implication is you get more of Jesus. You're going to understand grace more. You're going to understand mercy more. You're going to understand your purpose. What do I do now that I'm a Christian? That's what the church is for. Peter is saying, come together, because this is what God has done by design with the church. He's building us up into this spiritual house. Second point, which is the conclusion, so much shorter. <laughs> right, the church is called to be God's spiritual house. That's who we are. That's, as soon as you come to Jesus, you're now part of the house, and the question is, will you be faithful to God's plan for your life? What's the church called to do? And he says we're being built up as a spiritual house in order to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We hinted at this, right? If you're in the Old Testament and you were a a normie, (laughs) a non-priest, you know what you do when you go to church? You would just watch. You'd watch someone sacrifice for you. You would watch someone pray for you. I mean, you, you participate in different ways, but so much of the Old Testament's worship system in the tabernacle and temple, it was designed for the Levites to do this for you. It's training you to trust the Messiah's work for you, probably. But what Peter says, when you're joined together to be a holy priesthood, he's picturing every human being in God's spiritual house to be a royal priest male or female, right? called to offer spiritual sacrifices. This is every member ministry. I mean, there's specific roles with elder deacon. That's a longer conversation. But this is saying that every member can serve Jesus like the priest served in the Old Testament. You have an access that you didn't have before and an honor that you didn't have before. And I know Hebrews says, you know, what are these spiritual sacrifices? It would be, well, thank yous. You can, you can talk about Jesus in public. You don't have to be a professional to tell someone else about Jesus. It's all stuff we take for granted now. You can do good and share what you have with others. That's Hebrews 13, spiritual sacrifices. Be generous with your time, your, your affections, your emotions, your, your money. You can pray for someone else. I mean, this is huge. You have the, the dignity of saying, I will take you into God's throne room and ask him to act on your behalf. That's not a, a small thing. You can turn to someone else who says, I am deeply sorry for hurting you, and you can offer them forgiveness in Jesus' name. You don't have to be a priest, a pastor, to do that. Peter is, is setting the church up to be, yeah, there's structure and, and, and in specific ways Jesus runs the church, but it's, it's also in, it's so inclusive that every member is called to be involved in the work of the church. 
because you carry Jesus' name with you wherever you go. So it's a good question, right? These are all, I just described a bunch of priestly acts. What is God fitting you together to do here as a priest? Right? Who am I to love? Who am I to pray for? Who am I to befriend or show hospitality to? Who am I to sacrifice for? Who should I walk alongside as they walk through the valley of the shadow of death? I mean, all these are priestly acts. Peter is saying, God put us together as living stones to do this together, to find your purpose together. We're sent as priests. And I'm deliberately pulling us out of our comfort zone because it's easy to just come and receive, is it not? I mean, I don't want to get that option because it's my job, but (laughs) but it's easy to come to church and say, yeah, I just want to be taught or I just want to receive what the church has to give me, but at some point, part of Christian maturity is to turn around and say, I have received much, so now I want to give much, because that's what your identity is as a priest. You know, one of the things Session is working on, we're having conversations on, it's going to take the summer and some time to get organized, but we've, we've thrown out the idea of, of revamping and reworking what used to be the GROW Committee here, the Gospel Renewal and Outreach Committee, where it's a team of people, not just the elders, um, saying how do we love our missionaries, who should we support, and then how also do we live as missionaries here in Saratoga County. See, there's, there's places to get involved as a priest. So it's just a great question. If I'm a priest, where do I serve? How do I serve? What does Jesus join me to these people to do? And the only way to do that for this to work well, for everything we've talked about, is you have to see Jesus as your cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. The question is, will you stumble over him or you receive the honor he gives? Right? That's, what, that's what we read in Isaiah. You, he'll either be a sanctuary, a safe place where your shame is covered, or you're going to get so mad at him, you're just going to trip, stumble, and fall and walk away. But the cornerstone in an ancient building project, that was the most important piece of the whole thing because if the cornerstone was crooked you're going to have a wonky house see what happens if you make anything other than Jesus, Jesus your cornerstone you're setting yourself up for shame to be the foundation of your life and control everything you do do you see that to reject Jesus is to choose shame as a foundation because how else, what other option is there? Right? Your career, if that's your foundation, am I good enough? Or what happens when I can't go to work? It's going to crumble. You know, if you make romance another human being to try and bear the full weight of, of meaning and existence for your life, right, that's a crooked cornerstone because you're going to disappoint them and nobody will forgive you the way Jesus forgives you. And everything is fading. That's Peter earlier. I mean, the secular world knows this. You know that there's this movement. I can't, I'm being recorded and I might get fired if I said it, but there's this thing called failure nights where everyone wears a tag, name tag and they come together and they say, hi, my name is Nate. And underneath says my name, I'm a failure. But they're not using the word failure. They're screw-ups, which is saying they're, they're trying to figure out how to deal with their shame and the only way they can deal with it is to come out of hiding and talk with it with someone else. 
But then they all just wallow in it together. Now what Peter is saying, and this is what will form, what, this, is, this is how God dwells with us. The honor is for you who believe. Right? The way for God to build his church and to grow you in confidence to be a priest, to want to be a part of God's church, is to see the honor we receive coming to Jesus by faith to look at how precious you are in Christ. And the way you see how chosen and precious you are in Christ is to see how rejected and shamed he was on your behalf. He was rejected by men. The most loving, patient, right? He's the cornerstone. He's the one that could build everything and it would be perfect straight lines. And every human being looked at him and said, nope, I'll pass. It's a hard pass for me. No, Jesus was despised, shamed, killed outside the city, thrown out like unwanted, useless building materials, rejected by God and the world, taking the judgment we deserve so that we could see just how chosen and valuable and precious we are in Christ. That covers your shame. And when you see how valued you are by God, sending his son, Jesus becomes your cornerstone. He covers your shame. And then you value him and say, how can I honor you, you who've honored me this much? Teach me how to serve as a priest in your kingdom. And that's the rest of Peter. And we'll come back to next week. But I pray that today you would learn uh, to see the honor that we receive in Christ. And that would motivate our service. Let's pray. But Father, we looked at a lot of things, but I pray what stands out is your love for us, your plan to join us together, and I pray for Hope Church. It would be a place that, that Isaiah described, a refuge for those who are suffering, full of joy at your presence with us, that people would come and see that your, your grace and your glory is here among us because we're joined to Jesus, our cornerstone. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.